0: Well, hi folks, this is Jack Spirko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, June the 30th, 2021, which means we're about to have the end of another month. It's the sixth month of the year. Half the year, gone like a fart in the wind. And, uh, you know, that has a lot to do with the hands of time ticking for us all. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Life is moving. You're either advancing liberty and freedom and, and security in your life or you're not. So get on it. And time will come back. We'll talk about time When we get to the end of today's show, today's intro is going to be pretty abbreviated. I'm just going to tell you what you're going to be hearing for the main body of the show is to ask me anything that was streamed live on YouTube. And it didn't go perfect. It went pretty good. The biggest problem I had was people commenting to me and trying to filter between comments and questions. And part of that is people not following the directions of putting the questions in all caps. And part of it is just hard and I think if I ever do another live stream AMA, I'll get like Nicole Saucer or someone uh, to jump in the uh, stream with me and 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 feed me the questions so that I can focus on the answers uh, and maybe do a little bit better and then they can get clarification on something that's not clear before I even hear it and maybe that'll go, but it went pretty good. And you know, I was talking about time ticking away. Well, I believe that we all need to be adding to what we do all the time. We need to do a little bit more, learn new skills and whatever, and it's about time that I learned how to manage and run live video streams. So I've been playing with that this week. The last two shows I did this week uh, probably went a little bit smoother on air on on the, the podcast syndication side. The stuff you're listening to, iTunes, Stitcher, et cetera, um, definitely probably went better for you uh, than this one will. There will be less pauses and whatever. I, I am trying, like I, I have my my main machine doing the audio-only recording, and I try to, when I need to take a pause, to hit pause on the recording and what have you. But I'll just tell you there will be some uh, blips in the road. But I do feel that this is something I need to keep exploring, and maybe not every show needs to also be live-streamed, or even parts of it live-streamed, but some of it does. And I think it makes me a better podcaster because I think interacting with people ups my energy level, and I just feel like it's probably long-term go with the flow guys give me some grace i've been doing it 13 years for you let me fumble a little bit as i adopt a new component to the show uh and if you work with me i promise i'll get better at it as we go and i'll be able to do some pretty cool stuff with it as we go anyway so that's about it other than i do want to lead off today with a quote that will uh will make a lot of sense when you hear the last question that somebody asked me before I end the feed, because I go off into a full-on Jack rant. Uh, For those of you that have been around long enough that you were here when I started and I was doing the show in my car, uh, quite a few people put in the comments section, it's a Jetta rant, you know, Uh, and you'll either know what that means or you won't, but uh, yeah. Anyway, um, this is by Sun Tzu, uh, as in The Art of War. And it's one of the most important quotes that will never be taught in our primary school system. There is no way that this quote will ever make it into high school uh, history or philosophy or anything like that. And you probably won't hear it in most of our colleges. Because it, it means so much in so many ways toward thinking for yourself. And here is the quote. If fighting is sure to result in victory, then you must fight, even though the ruler forbids it. If fighting will not result in victory, then you must not fight, even at the ruler's bidding. And if we take that directly to war, there'd been an awful lot of lives saved had we followed that. It would have been very hard for us to make the cluster out of Vietnam that we did if we had thought this way during the Vietnam War, just for one instance, just for one instance. But I brought this quote around for you to think about in your own life today, not in conventional warfare on the battlefield, but in the, the fight that we have with the powers that be that want to take liberty from us. If fighting is sure to result in victory, then you must fight even though the ruler forbid it. Let me stop there, and that's all I want to cover from this quote for you guys today. I know it's hard to believe right now, but the forces of of the the mindset of liberty, the mindset of freedom of speech, etc., right now are winning. That's why I did a show yesterday on 15 Things to be Optimistic About. It is not the time for us to start snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory. These people are losing. And if they weren't losing, they wouldn't be trying so damn hard to get everything done so fast. They have, with COVID, yes, overplayed their hand. But on other things, they have underestimated the ability of people to communicate. This is not 1975 anymore. You don't have three TV stations that all say the same thing to you. I know you got 200 that all say the same thing to you, but you're listening to a podcast right now by a guy that produces a show that reaches a quarter million people out of uh, an 11-by-12 bedroom turned into an office with a bunch of fish tanks in it, sitting here with a $100 microphone and an 8-year-old computer and some software. And that's the world we live in today. And... There is no way they can silence all of us, and there's no way that they can silence the truth. Another quote, three things cannot be hidden for long, the sun, the moon, and the truth. And with that in mind, let's go ahead and we're going to tune in now to uh, the AMA that I did on YouTube, and then I'll come back and wrap things up. And again, there'll be a little bit of long pause here and there, and a little bit of I don't know, and a little bit of... Trying to figure things out. they will throw into this. But again, I'm doing something new after 13 years. Give me a time or two and and I'll I'll, I'll get better at it for you. All right, with that, let's go ahead and uh, dig on into it. Um, I will be taking questions if you're listening to the audio only today in real time and answering them in real time and communicating with people. I'm also using StreamYard for the first time ever uh, today. And uh, so we'll see how that goes. Yesterday... I live-streamed the body of the show, and I did it on my iPhone, and I set it to, do not disturb, and I said, do not interrupt me no matter what, I don't care if you're on my friends list, I don't care if you called 18 times, leave me alone. And some telemarketer called me, and in spite of those settings, it rang through, and it broke the stream, and I was unable to get it back, and I had to finish the show with a second stream, and I'm like, okay, no more. No more freaking iPhone for streaming. Let's Jack, let's get into the, uh, the fact that it is 2021, and let's go ahead and let's, uh, let's start recording using a, a proper streaming program. And some of y'all recommended StreamYard, so I'm giving them a shot today, and we'll see how they go. If it works out, I'm going to be able to uh, – I, I will uh, upgrade if it works out to uh, the Pro package, and it will let me multi-stream to three locations. So I'll be able to stream to YouTube, or as I call them, ScrewTube, uh, Odyssey, and uh, Float, uh, or some other three locations. It all depends on what I want to do, but I'll be able to to multi-stream with that. And uh, maybe I'll even start doing some of the interviews with uh, guests in this type of format as well, which I think will add something to it. And then the other thing I wanted to uh, add in on this is... Why I'm doing it is not just for more exposure. Doing it for two days in a row now, and I don't know that it's going to be every show that I'm going to do this. But knowing I'm live and interacting with real people, um, Nick Ferguson is a is a pain in the ass. Uh, just going to say that to the people in the live stream. Um, <laughs> do all dogs go to heaven? Yes, they do. Anyway, um, having live interaction, I feel like made me better at podcasting the last two days. More energy. Um, it's more real. I can't just stop in the middle and go make another cup of tea or whatever, so I have to fill up you know, my French press, and that's what gets me through and what have you. Um, so I just think there's more energy. I think it'll be a better overall experience. And uh, I don't also don't want it to take away from people that just listen on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever. So we'll try to make that work. Uh, in future episodes where I'm doing this, I, I think it'll be pretty transparent or uh, pretty opaque to people listening to the audio only that it's it's even being done this way. Other than I might tell you, so you might want to check it out. All right, so let's start digging into this. And again, doing this alone, I think we'll have some challenges. But I believe the first question that I saw come up was about guns. What was my favorite gun for uh, home defense, and what is my ho- favorite firearm for carry? And I would definitely say that, that there's a difference in the overall um, viewpoint there. I think probably the best all-around home defense weapon is the shotgun. Uh, I really do. With I'll give you a caveat on that in just a second. But if you have time and the ability to do so, um, shotguns are fight stoppers. Carbines are as well, but home defense ranges, you don't gain a ton by going to something like an AR, and shotgun has some real advantages, in my opinion, at those short distances. If you watch uh, the YouTube channel Active Self-Defense, you will be surprised, I think, at how many times people take multiple shots from handguns and continue the fight. And sometimes, even when mortally wounded, they look like nothing really happened to them, even if they like eventually stop and bleed out. Like, they keep coming, they keep going after the person doing the shooting. Handguns are notorious for not ending fights. I'm going to tell you, if you take a full load of number four buckshot in the face, the chest, the groin, the kneecap at home defense rages, you're going to at least slow down, if not completely stop. Um, For carry, uh, I carry a a SIG 239 in... uh, Forty, uh, sorry, 357 SIG that I did a conversion on, and I just really like it. I am always going to personally kind of default to things that either are a 1911 or kind of mimic the 1911 frame because I've been shooting that since I was, um, I guess, nine years old, eight years old, something like that. I can't fault, you know, a Glock 19 and then whatever the small, even smaller frame uh, carry Glock is. I think that's probably the best for the most people, but it's just not... Um, It's just not what I'm going to be doing. Um, How do you keep on giving up from building your dreams from Christopher? That's all on you, man. I mean, I wish I had a better answer for you that, you know, you just, like, like some kind of special medicine you could take and then you wouldn't have to worry about giving up. But you have to decide that what you're doing is worth doing and then you have to go inside and then you have to make it happen. However... There is a place to evaluate if the dream you have is really the dream you want. I mean, we change a lot, and sometimes we have this dream that forms in our head when we're 25, and when we're 35, we're still chasing, but we've never, like, reassessed whether that's what we really want. And then the other thing you have to really assess is, is the, if the dream's right, that's fine, but is the path to the dream the right path, the most expedient path, the path, the best path for you? And I think if you constantly evaluate whether you're actually getting closer to the dream or not, and then instead of saying, well, if I just keep trying, I'll get there, I think if you take that approach, you have a real propensity for burnout because that does not necessitate determining whether or not you need to make a course correction. If if the distance between you and your dream, as time moves, the dream stays the same distance in the future, you're not getting closer to it, you have to be honest with yourself that you're doing something wrong. You're you're taking the wrong approach and that you need to do something a little bit differently. And then you need to adjust that. And I think so the way that we don't give up on our dreams is we go into constant evaluation of whether or not we're heading toward them and we do constant course corrections. And when we make a course correction, we don't do it like, oh, I changed, so now it'll all be all right. Like, we start evaluating that fairly quickly, you know, weeks, months in. Like, is this working? Am I getting there? And I think if you are, you will not give up on a dream if it's something that you really want or willing to sacrifice for and if it's getting closer. People that give up on dreams, they generally give up because they're doing the wrong thing so they don't get any closer so they get tired and they quit. So that's, that's my best answer on that one. Um, next one. If you're not doing your questions in all caps, folks, I will not probably notice them. Okay, F- Nick Ferguson has one. Do you see food shortages being a problem this year? Uh, yes. However, some of my fellow YouTube personalities, podcasters, etc., I think have overstated the problem. And this idea that You are not going to be able to buy food at all, I think, is a little bit out there. I think we may see some real strain on the food supply, and I don't think it will be necessarily something you see as lack of availability. I think you'll see more limited availability and much higher pricing. I think we have yet to fully realize how short we are on soy and some other grains. I would say probably many of you out there listening to me right now on the live stream, if you have livestock, you're paying more for your feed now than you were a year ago. And I think that is directly applicable to shortages. We feed a non-soy, non-GMO feed that's made up of milo and peanut as its primary uh, primary body. Uh, We're now getting that from a different supplier because the one we had is not being sold locally anymore. Uh, we're going to a custom mill that, that mills it for us, and we're saving a ton that way. It's, it's a 90-minute drive each way, so it's a three-hour trip, and I didn't have time to do it recently. I put out a thing on next door, and I had somebody say, hey, I can do that for $100. Bucks. And we bought, I think, 25 bags, and the price savings was enough that paying that guy $100 bucks was just, it, it took care of itself. I do think we're going to have some, some food shortages I am not anticipating people not being able to, uh, to procure food at all this year. I, I really don't. Uh, next, that was from Nick Ferguson. Next is from Moon Sprouts. Um, where'd that go? It went away. This is difficult. <laughs> uh, do you grow your own feed for your poultry and your ducks? I do not grow the bulk of my feed for my livestock. I have started doing more and more to produce some of their feed and thereby reduce that cost that we uh, that we just uh, mentioned. Uh, but obviously I buy feed since we just bought 25 bags of feed. The number one thing that I've been feeding my ducks this year has been a plant called water hyacinth. And I'm now growing it in almost all of my water systems. And when it's dried out, it has higher protein content than soybean. And they love it. They absolutely love it. It took them a while to uh, to accept it, but they uh, they love it now. And then the other plant that I've been feeding, I mean, people grow duckweed. I grow some duckweed here and there. It, it, it doesn't have a lot of bulk when you harvest it. Uh, the ducks certainly love it. That's why they call it duckweed. But I started growing um, a, a floating little water fern plant called a zolope. And it's growing much better for me than duckweed does. It's growing faster than duckweed does for me. It fixes nitrogen, so it makes a good mulch in the garden as well. And they love it. I mean, they go ballistic for it. Uh, so the main things I've been growing for my animals have been aquatic plants, uh, which are nice because they grow fast. They get a lot of bulk to them and uh, you don't, you can't forget to water something if it's sitting in the water. The only other thing that's really worked well for me growing for my animals has been black oil sunflower, which I buy for my wife to feed in bird feeders, but we plant it, well, I should say the squirrels and the birds end up planting it all over the place, and when it gets great big, we just cut the heads off and let it dry, and I'll just throw it and let the chickens pull it off, or maybe I'll help a little bit for the ducks, but that's about it. Um, if I was doing rabbits or something like that, I would definitely talk to Nick Ferguson about fodder trees, but I'm not doing rabbits. Can you recommend a series... This is from Nick the Greek. Can you recommend a series of books, other resources to understand cryptocurrencies? I can't. Because I've never read a book on cryptocurrency in my life. I'm not sure that it's the best medium to learn about cryptocurrencies other than, I would guess, the very basics because... The world of cryptocurrency is changing so absolutely uh, constantly. I would say kind of a great way to get your feet with with understanding cryptocurrency, start with one and start with Bitcoin, because I have another question, beginner beginner guidance for cryptocurrency novices from John. Uh, So I'm going to kind of combine those two. The podcast that I've been enjoying the most as far as articulate guests that really know what's going on is uh, Peter McCormick or McCormack or something I don't remember how you say his name but the, the show is called What Bitcoin Did and he's had some amazing guests and some pretty high level stuff on but he has a whole series of kind of getting started podcasts on his site and I think that would be a really great resource if you go to my website the com, and, and use the search function to put getting started with cryptocurrency I have a whole podcast that's just on that alone as well it's pretty basic and um, what I'll warn you about with the What Bitcoin Did guy, he's one of the, we call him maximalists uh, for Bitcoin. So it's like there's Bitcoin and there's shitcoins coins, and there's no in-between. And, and I don't ascribe to that at all myself, but it doesn't mean you can't learn a lot there. And it's the highest quality content that I found on the subject of crypto as a whole, but through the Bitcoin lens so far. And uh, on, on this kind of a, you know, Real-time feedback loop here. I think that's about as good as I can do. And bear with me, guys. Other uses for duckweeds besides just feeding ducks from John. Um, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't. Actually, I'll tell you what it does is if you have water that has poor water quality, and you you create a cap of duckweed on it. In a week or so, when you pull that duckweed to the side, it will be crystal clear. Uh, it's good at cleaning water uh, quality up, in my opinion. It's good at covering uh, the top of water and keeping it cooler because you're keeping the sun off it. That will help keep algae down. I would say it probably makes decent mulch or compost fodder, but Azolla, I think, is better for that. Um 365 Outdoors, have you and Stephen Harris reconciled? Absolutely not. I think the man's insane. And I say that in a very um, – I I wish it wasn't true. But I think that – and I really don't want to talk about this very much. I don't want to put the man down, but I'm just going to say that I think he he was having some struggles. And I think when COVID hit, it blew the lid off of all things for him. And I think he would do well to get some counseling. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, <laughs> next up, Third Eye Vision. I live in central Florida, surrounded by lakes and bodies of fresh water. Wondering what I need to consider about water quality when fishing for fish to eat. It is, usually, is it usually safe to eat for most lakes? You know, that's something that the Fish and Game uh, Department of, of Florida is actually really good about in your area, about you know, water quality. Uh, both salt water due to seasonal things like red tides and fresh water, and I would check with, with them. This is kind of how I view it. Unless there's a specific thing that you know that's wrong with water, like one of the things I'd say to be very careful with in Florida is like every third apartment complex has these great big beautiful ponds and lakes, and if they're constantly spraying true green chemlon and then that's all going into that watershed, I would be concerned about that. Uh, so that would be something you can observe whether that's happening or not. Otherwise, unless you know a specific reason, I wouldn't worry too much about eating fish out of, you know, freshwater systems. Uh, we have a lake here, for instance, that's polluted with PCBs. That's I'm not doing that. That's cancer-causing long-term, you know, forever half-life stuff. Otherwise, could there be some toxins? Yeah, and you know what? Every time you breathe in and breathe out, you just inhaled like 50,000 toxins. Our bodies... Have the ability to detoxify humans in particular. That's why you have a giant liver. Uh, what have you. Somebody asked if I was a beekeeper. I don't see that question now, but no, I'm no longer a beekeeper. I played with bees for a while, and I am not going to do that anymore. I've determined that not everybody can do everything, and I think the lesson from that is pick the things that you that give you the best benefit that you enjoy doing, that you have time to do, and then you know, engage in commerce. If I want honey... The guy that was my bee mentor is a great source of honey. I can buy all the honey I want from him. And I'm supporting a local beekeeper that way. And I plant things for the bees and what have you. Um, Tom L., how is your keto journey progressing? Any issues getting back to it after vacation? I personally find the holidays challenging. I'm kind of, I did this whole keto journey series of podcasts for a while. Uh, I got down to about 205 from, you know, when I started tracking it on that series, it was in the high 260s. Uh, some over 60 pounds, but the truth is I was well heavier than that. Uh, all in, I lost about 85 pounds. I have occasionally put on five, taken off five, but I I pretty much sit at 205 right now. I'm very happy with that. Um, the, the, the holidays and all, my view is there's times where I just don't worry about it and I eat what I want. and Then I go back to being full on keto, and that's it. But I think what helps you get through holiday seasons and stuff like that with that mindset is when I say that, it doesn't mean that from Thanksgiving until New Year's, I eat everything that I want. Uh, You know, Thanksgiving Day, I eat what I want. Christmas Day, when we have Christmas dinner, I eat what I want. If I go to a party during that period, I eat what I want, and, and that's about it. So I think that if you do things one or two days, going back to what you know you should be doing every day is easy. But if you do things for like a week or two or three, you really have come out of the habit of just eating right. So I wouldn't even call it a keto journey anymore. I would just call it how I eat at this point. And I think that's the goal that you should shoot for. Uh, not that you're wrong if you haven't gotten there yet, but that's just the goal that you should shoot for. Uh, scrolling through looking for the next question here, guys. Um, Go ahead and give me more questions, because uh, scrolling back up really doesn't work well for me here. Here's one's not in all caps, but I do see it's a question. Curtis, any thoughts on the suspicious observer's electroverse theory? The idea of a 12,000-year cycle of catastrophe is due with the reversal of poles, magnetic field weakening, micronova solar flare, long-tail risk. Uh, Curtis, I, I, I think that that particular channel has some really valuable information on it. I also think that they purport to know things that are not knowable, and there have been absolute instances of pulse shifts in the history of Earth. They're certainly not every 12,000 years. Now, I don't even know if they're conflating those two things or not. Uh, 12,000-year catastrophe cycle, I, I also find that to be like a claim that someone knows something that's not knowable. I think that in our world of preparedness, we have this predisposition to latch on to anything that sounds like that. I would say, I certainly think around 12,000 years ago, we had a catastrophe. Um, and I think that if you, if you dig deep enough in, in the earth, you'll find a thing, uh, a, a evidence of that catastrophe. Um, and it, I believe that it was most likely, and if you, if you check out the work of like uh, Randall Carlson, and I can't think of the other guy, that, that Graham Hancock, I think there's immense evidence that that catastrophe happened somewhere around 12,000 12,500 years ago and that it happened from a large body impact. Now, do I think that, you know, impacts from large bodies will fall into regular patterns of every 12,000 years? No. And do I think that, you know, if there's a 12,000-year pattern, that it's reasonable that one of those events would have been, you know, a large body impact? And then the next one's going to be a pole shift, and then the next one's going to be, I don't know, the ghost of Al Gore rises and warms the planet. Like, no, I, I think if you're going to have some sort of a cycle that's repeatable and dependable, it's going to be the same thing. And I, I just think that they're, they're a good channel, they have some good information, but that sounds, um, well, a little bit out there for me. I am scrolling back up here. Uh, considerations for offering long-term storage in a barn. Uh, love in Little Greenhouse. You're going to have to restate that. I don't know what that means. Um, long-term storage of what? So we'll see if we get back to you on that one. What is your ideal um, prepper fishing setup? I want to use limb and jug line circle hooks. Curious of the type of storage uh, for copper and lead core line from David. David, look, um, circle hooks are great. Uh, not as much for... Limb lines and jug lines. Um, they're really good at the fish takes the line, you get a corner of the mouth hook, and great for release, but they're designed for angling, not leaving a line dangling in the water to itself. I have found kales and circles to not work as well for jug lines, trot lines, limb lines. As good old-fashioned like J-hooks. J Uh, or bait holders so so that's what i would use for that copper core line or lead core line i don't know any just i don't know anything about i've used it one time uh fishing with a guide off the coast of rhode island and it worked really good for what it is so i i'm not sure on that one ideal setup for prepper fishing i mean i think your most kind of flexible do-it-all Setup is, you know, like a 300 to 400 class reel or 3,000 to 4,000 class reel, depending on who you're looking at, like a Mitchell 300 uh, and a Kuma uh, 3,000 ABF or something like that, and a six and a half foot medium action to medium light action rod. Like that is the thing that you can go anywhere and do almost anything in freshwater North America with and a whole lot of stuff um, in freshwater with. I'm definitely a fan of braided fishing line. Uh, I think it really makes a lot of sense to learn uh, some good knots, several different options for leader tying to go from a floor. And I'm a huge fan of fluorocarbon for your leader material. And what you'll learn over time is like you'll learn a way to splice a leader on and then you'll end up splicing like a totally different line size and that one doesn't work as well. So several different means of doing that. As far as, you know, artificials, I personally think the most flexible lure that exists is going to be. You have to have two to get all the flexibility, and one is some sort of a soft body, whether it's a worm, a gets it, a tube lure, something like that, more in your bass realm, and the a good old you know three quarter to one ounce slab, because you can you can jig a slab, you can skip a slab, you can even I've even fished slabs top water when there's surfacing surfacing white bass. So that's kind of where I'm at with that um, for surviving. You're dead on to go with, you know, trot lines, limb lines, et cetera. It's like trapping for fish. And, I mean, your best thing is a net. I know they're illegal in a lot of places, but, you know, give me five minutes at quite a few places and a few handfuls of chum and a couple throws of a cast net, and if nothing else, we'll be eating fish chowder that night. Um, what restrictions do you, again, guys, please all caps with the questions. It'll make this easier. But Jeff says, what restrictions do you see coming – for Americans who choose not to get the jab at the federal, state, and international levels. Well, I think internationally is going to be where you see the greatest number of restrictions. I think there will be uh, uh, nations that you will not be able to travel to, which ones I don't know, but I think most of the EU nations will be among them. Um, And I... I don't know that here's let me answer the question and then I'll say some mitigating circumstances about it. At the federal level, I don't think that Americans will stand for that restriction um, for airlines and things like that. I, I don't see a point where we get to where you can't get on a plane, you can't get on a train whatever without a vaccine. Um, but I think it might be vaccine or mask. That said, my wife and I were thinking about doing a train ship, a train, trip and a cruise in Alaska combined and they are requiring the vaccine right now but that's not the federal government making that requirement that's them making that requirement so um, the state level the state level is going to be incredibly variable i i think we have a real cost and it's not that they won't violate the constitution they won't violate the constitution when they're not able to violate the constitution as we have to look at this and i think you, this requ- a requirement to exist, to travel, to shop, to conduct commerce in general is going to not stand the constitutional muster. And I think you're starting to see this already ebb, and I think they're once again trying to put the whole thing on life support. They're Instead of putting people on life support, they're putting COVID itself on life support. And that's what this whole, the Delta, the deadly Delta, super-duper serial version, man. You know, um, none of these variants are any more deadly. Not a single one of them. Just so y'all know, none of them are any more deadly. They're playing a game here in that they're saying it's X percent more contagious, and more contagious equals more conditions, and more, more you know, or more, more infections, and more infections equals more hospitalizations, and more hospitalizations equals more death. That's the game that they're playing. I personally think that it's going to be very difficult. For them to keep this going, and they're gonna, I think they're rapidly getting ready to go to something else because the sheer number of people even affected by this is declining on a daily basis. And you got to realize, no matter what they say, natural immunity is a thing. And every time a person gets and recovers from this disease, especially the person that had such a mild case, they didn't even know they had it. You have a person who's never going to get it again, or not get it any any time in in the near future, uh, including these these variants. You know, this is. uh, I think it's on the way downhill. What are the things to consider when looking to move from a leach field to a reed bed system? Uh, From Lauren, and I'm guessing you mean for a septic system. I guess. I probably wouldn't do a reed bed a reed bed system for septic if you mean flush the toilet, poop goes down. Um, I would stick with a leach field. I am very seriously considered going to some sort of reed bed, wicking bed, something system here and but it will be a gray water system. So, and and this is one of the difficult things to do. With retrofitting an existing house, because and it would be easy to do if you knew it when you were building it. But what I would very much like to do is take all the water that comes out of our washing machine, our dishwasher, our sink, and our bathtubs, and put that through a reed bed system. And then I have a good old fashioned standard septic, and everything that goes down the toilet, I would I would stick to that. Um, I'd be more inclined if you could even figure out how to do this. You know, maybe have a poop toilet and a pee toilet, and the urine into the reed bed. Fine. I, I, I don't think it's a valid solution for solid waste. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, that's my opinion. I've never really built anything like that. What are your thoughts on biofuel from cactus? Um, I think cacti grow too slow to be a valid uh, biofuel stock, in my experience. I don't think that the idea in of itself is flawed. I'm sure there are um, cacti that would be useful for this. But my experience with, and maybe I'm just wrong, if you have a rapid-growing, fast-growing cactus that makes good biofuel, knock yourself out. Um, my experience with cacti in in many instances is that they're very, very slow-growing. Um I mentioned a plant earlier called water hyacinth. This stuff grows like you know, like like a weed on steroids, which is kind of what it seems to be. And I know they're making ethanol out of it in Africa. Now, they have huge lakes infested with it where it's a huge problem because they have a climate where it can overwinter and things like that. So I, I don't know that it would be something a small-scale producer could do seasonally uh, very well, but it, it certainly seems like a better fuel stock to me. Uh, than than cactus. I, I've actually never heard of that before. I, I see that I've gone way back. He, younger Dryas. That is that is the term I was looking for earlier. Um, do you think price drops of crypto and ammunition will coincide with each other? Well, crypto went down and and, and ammo didn't. <laughs> so, I, but I know what you're saying. Like, do 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 I think that that means uh, ammo prices are going to drop soon? Or do I think that like when crypto like is the crypto, crypto bear market not done yet? And as it comes down, will ammo prices come down? No, I don't think the two are related at all uh, in any way, shape, or form. Um, I think they're totally different cycles. I think that crypto will probably complete a bear cycle and be in an up cycle, and ammo will still be very expensive compared to the way it used to be. I don't know that ammo will ever come back to sanity. Uh, at this point, honestly, um, it was the CEO, I think, of Smith & Wesson recently that just said don't expect you know ammo to come back to any kind of sanity level soon um, because the demand is just still through the roof. And I would say, if anything, having Democrats in power has traditionally kept high demand for guns and ammunition uh, throughout an administration. I remember... When Trump won the election, and that that winter, like right around Christmas time, me and a buddy named David went to a gun show, and it was like walking through a funeral. Like there was just like we we'd gone to one that summer, and it was like a festival. You know, everybody was excited. There was a lot of people buying. Like everything was going crazy. And then six months later, and you're in between Christmas and New Year's when people just got money and stuff like that, and uh, it was like it was just like a weird, weird lack of energy feeling. Like Even before you saw the, the lack of a crowd, when you walked in, you just felt the energy wasn't there because that's how people think. When nobody's worried about something going away, I got, to, you know, I got forever to buy it. And then when people are afraid, they react in fear. And I think right now the fear is at a real high. My biggest concern right now for people without ammo, I don't have a viable alternative for you. Uh, you can get brass no problem. You can get powder, not much problem. You can get slugs, right? bullets, not much problem. If you had to, you can get lead and you can cast your own, no problem. What's difficult to procure right now is primers. And so through the years, I've always said, take up reloading, get well equipped, learn how to do it. Even if you put everything away and don't do it much, have the gear. The problem with getting into that now, if you don't already have primers, and especially like small pistol magnum, large rifle, uh, large pistol magnum primers, like those, and small rifle primers, right? So, like everything, it uh, is just almost impossible to get in any kind of quantity right now. Uh, Moonsprout says Have you heard of Chinese tallow for wax and oil production? I don't know what that is at all. I have no idea what Chinese tallow is. And why you would use it for wax production or oil production. Wax production to me means bees. Uh, oil production, um, is it a plant? Uh, Maybe it's a tree. That's ringing true to me now. Uh, Chinese tallow, it says Chinese, I'm sorry, Chinese tallow tree. Never, I don't know. It would be certainly something worth looking into, um, but, I have never actually done anything with it. But I have heard about that plant. Ask Nick Ferguson. Maybe he'll give you an answer in the chat section there. Um, And then Joseph said, what are your thoughts on ammo prices, and would you recommend getting into reloading? So I think I just covered that one uh, fairly well. Uh, Steel Tiger says, become good at throwing knives, since we're going to be out of ammo. You know, I'll tell you uh, a couple things in, in a serious note that I think can be quite valuable for long-term viability for at least being able to procure meat, right? These are not really great self-defense techniques, but, you know, our forefathers did pretty well feeding themselves with flintlocks, right? And the last time I've checked, you can get flint, you can get... Um, I can't remember, 777 I think is the kind of black powder equivalent fairly easily, and you can get let. So that would be one thing. Uh, bow and arrow. I, I, I prefer to archery hunt over just about all things uh, if I have the time to do it. And, um, you know, I've, I've taken game at 50, 60 yards with a bow. Uh, and I've reused arrows multiple times and generally unless they're broken and the newer arrows are really, really great. Um, as far as being able to be used, you know, many times. Uh, so looking at other ways you can procure game. Uh, also learning the skill of trapping even if you don't use it because, you know, there's times when maybe you would need to. I think I'll just leave it at that. Uh, next here. Make your own powder too. I've never done that, but I think certainly learning how to make your own powder, our, our forefathers certainly knew how to do that. So next one is: Are you aware of Michael Malice, and if so, would you consider inviting Michael Malice to the podcast? If any of you know Mister Malice, please invite. Please suggest to him that he fill out a guest form at the Survival Podcast. I have just for the very first time heard him speak, and where did I hear him speak? on what Bitcoin did, um, that interview with him actually inspired the show I did earlier this week, answering questions about anarchy. I don't know anything more about Michael than that one interview. My opinion listening to it is that he is an incredibly articulate and smart individual and a hell of a thinker. And I would love, uh, to, to talk to him, uh, more. I, I really would. Um, Bees for self defense. Just put Trump signs in your beehives and watch criminals kick them over. Okay. Um, Curtis Brown, do you think cyber attack might be on the list of next things? I think less cyber attack than we have to worry about a cyber attack. Government will engage in false flag. I, I believe in that. But I think in general, like, Bad stuff happens, and then government picks and chooses which ones they want to lather up and have the greatest reaction to right now it It feels like the thing that they want to be next is that like the biggest problem that we have in the United States is white supremacy, and that's a that's a really nasty scenario and, and I'm gonna save my thoughts on how bad that could get because. We're early in on whatever it's going to be, and there's a lot of speculation coming out of that right now, and I don't know that it's all helpful, and I don't know how far they can keep carrying this. But if you think about it, this concept of using the term people of color, basically that means everybody, but if you are white, you're in this completely different bucket, and you are responsible for oppressing everybody. And that, that kind of thinking has been used over and over and over in the installation of Marxist tyrannies. Not necessarily that specific racial divide, but that type of divide. We take one group and make them the bad guys. And somehow people that are part of that group aren't the bad guys. And that's that's more concerning to me than cyber attacks. I think that the solutions to cyber warfare are largely... Changes in procedures and systems. And I don't think that the threat is as big as it is made out. I really don't. Uh, that's based on feedback from inside and the outside of those types of situations. Uh, <laughs> somebody said Jag is so amazing once he strangled a guy with a cordless phone. I, I, I don't think I'm, I'm that that useful to the world, dude, but thanks. Um, That sounds like a Chuck Norris joke, joke, doesn't it, you know? So uh, Buddy Lindsay says, would you go on TimCast in real life? Uh, I think you're talking about Tim Pool. Tim Pool is another one of these people that I really like what he's doing. Um, He's one of those people that I feel about him the way I try to get you guys to feel about me. I love Jack. He's great. I don't agree with him all the time, but I agree with him most of the time, and that's that's exactly how I feel about Tim Pool. If Tim asked me to be on his show, I would say when do you want me? And as long as the time he wanted me wasn't a time I was like, you know, um, obligated somewhere else, I would absolutely do it. And I I, I definitely recommend that people check out uh, his show. And I want to point out something about Tim. His show's available, like all my videos are, on Odyssey. And though we are uh, live-streaming on YouTube right now, I'm doing it because I reach the most people that way, and I'm still figuring this out, and it works. But I think that we all need to take our viewing habits as much as possible to platforms that uh, protect freedom whenever and wherever we can. So if you're going to check out Tim... Subscribe to him on Odyssey, and I am subscribed to Tim Pool on Odyssey, on TimCast. And I really, I don't watch all of his stuff, but I mean, I, I check out like probably one show a week, I'll check out on his stuff, and, and I really do like him. Uh, somebody says when I was talking earlier about the whole, you know, singling out white people is the problem. Uh, cough, cough, Hitler, cough, cough. Yeah, um, I agree, but I think we have to be careful when we start making that analogy, especially the people outside of the... Um, those that have already cut off from the Matrix, because when you use that type of thing that everybody knows what that means, people think that you're stating that the only logical outcome from this is the same type of extreme. And I think what you'll see throughout history is as bad as everything gets everywhere when things get bad, it gets bad a different way, and it plays out a different way in different places and times based on the situation technology what can be done what can't be done etc for instance when you know the holocaust happened you didn't have like 50 million people with guns going i don't think we're going to let you do that today like that's a dynamic that plays into this and don't think the people in power don't know it um, i don't think we're headed for the united states looking like nazi germany and people being put on trains i do think that we can learn a lot a lot from History as to when we're like it's not that it'll be the same, but the warning signs are the same. the The signs that this is bad are the same. If that makes sense, um, what would be the first steps for a new anarchist? This comes from Ephraim. Uh, to me, the first steps for somebody who's new to the world of anarchy and considers themselves now an anarchist, believing that you do not believe in the legitimacy of the state, is to understand before everything else, that that decision is personal and it's about you. And it's about you and how you're going to interact with society going forward, about how you're going to choose your path of resistance, etc. And that core to that belief is the belief in personal sovereignty, that you have sovereignty over yourself, your mind, and your body, and no one else does. It is 100% your right to decide what to do with your mind, your body, and, and and the things that you create and build and do in the world. And that even when you when you say, okay, I don't want to pay tax, but I don't want to go to jail, you're making a decision based on that reality. You've chosen to go, I'm going to give the mugger my wallet so he doesn't stab me in the guts. And since you want that level of freedom and sovereignty in your life, You have no right to take it away from anybody else. And if the other person wants to live with a statist government over them, they also have that right. The conflict comes when they want you to be part of their thing and you don't want to be part of it. And in the reality of the world right now, they outnumber us and there's no place we can go called anarchotopia or a agorist gulch or something like that and just be left alone. They will not leave us alone. So we have to be strategic in how we resist. But if you don't get that down, what will happen is you'll get sucked into debates with people that want to tell you how stupid and retarded you are for being an anarchist, that it will never work and it will, not everybody's ever going to do it. And you need to understand that you didn't become an anarchist so that you could make the world into an anarcho-world. You became an anarchist because it was a moral decision that you made because you believe that you have that inherent right to sovereignty and that no one has a right to take things from you that you've rightfully acquired against your will and no one can just have a title or a badge or a bunch of people that say they're in charge and change that. That's why you chose that. You didn't change it as a political movement. And if you can start from there, you'll be able to figure out how all of this works for yourself. If you think that the goal of the anarchist is to turn everybody else into anarchists too, so we can have anarcho-utopia, then you will be nothing but miserable, and you'll either be a miserable, angry anarchist, or you'll give up on being an anarchist. (laughs) Just just saying, right? You you, you can't be an anarcho-evangelist... In the stance that you think you need to bring other people into the fold, or or you haven't, you failed to save them. You can evangelize the concept, but it's really a place where you have to speak to those who are willing to listen, who have open ears and open hearts. You cannot get Messiah complex and try to force it on others, and you have to be okay with the fact that you'll probably never see a world. Where the dominant system of governance in the world is an anarcho-system of governance. And I know that some people would say, how the hell can you have anarcho-governance? Because you have rules. And you have means of enforcement of said rules. And we have organizations, and we work together, and we make decisions. But we do not have the ability to go in and force a way of life on others. That's what anarchy is really all about. That's your first step, is understanding that. Do you recommend any DeFi staking platforms? No, I don't. Not because I am inherently against it, uh, but I don't believe in holding my crypto on exchanges. So since I don't hold my crypto on exchanges, I don't hold them in places where I can DeFi stake. So it's, it, it's, it's not that I think the, the activity itself is inherently risky. I think holding my crypto on an exchange where somebody else has custodianship of my crypto is not something I want to do right now, so that's that's why that's a personal decision. I don't I don't uh, fault you for doing it. Um, any experience pointers in building a hay house? Uh, no, uh, I know quite a bit about straw bale building, and if that's what you mean, I think it's a really valid building technology, but I don't know if it's as good as it's made out to be. Um, he's describing voluntarism. I think you're talking about when I was talking about anarchism because uh, they 're the same thing uh, they 're different words for the same thing. Just real quick, additionally on anarchism, like when you hear all of this you know multifaceted argument over what anarchy is and like is you know anarcho primitivism and anarcho communism and stuff like that, I think you can have any form of anarchism you want until you tell somebody else what form they have to have. Right. So, And this is the interesting thing, and this is why you know which ideology is more likely to work. If you talk to somebody who would call themselves an anarcho-capitalist, which would be, I guess, one extreme of the anarcho-spectrum, and then a group of people that call themselves anarcho-communists, and you say, here's the deal, guys. You guys are diametrically opposed on the way in which you wish to live and the means by which you want to handle resource allocation. So everybody that wants to be an anarcho-capitalist can go live with you guys and anybody that wants to live on a commune can go live on the commune and you guys can even trade and buy and sell between each other but you have to leave each other alone. The anarcho-communists will go, deal. Before you're done explaining it, as soon as you get to the point where you can go do whatever you want and everybody else will leave you, do that, and then people voluntarily associate with you, that's all you have to say and anybody toward the right side of that spectrum is like, Deal. Done. With very few exceptions. People that are like anarcho-syndicate, anarcho-communist, etc. Well, no, it wouldn't work if, unless everybody does it. Okay. You're not an anarchist then. I don't care how many books you read that say you're an anarchist. You're not an anarchist if you want to tell other people how they have to live when they're not harming you. right? Unless you're resisting someone because they're stealing from you or they're trying to hurt you or trying to steal or hurt from somebody else. You're not an anarchist. You're a statist hiding under a black flag. And most leftist... Most? So important. When I say most, you don't hear all. (laughs) Most left-leaning anarchists are that type of anarchist. The whole concept of anarchy is we freely associate with each other. We agree upon rules. And only the people we've agreed upon those rules with in the area that we control are subject to those rules. And other people over here... Until they bother us or start hurting other people, we leave them alone. And anything shallow of that is not anarchy. Um, Have you watched any Larkin Rose videos on YouTube or read his book? A little bit of Larkin. Um, The one thing I don't like about Larkin, and I don't like this from anybody, is this entire need to make every cop some sort of evil bastard that should exist on the planet. Um... I agree that cops do a lot of bad shit. And my biggest problem with cops is not even the cops that do the bad shit. It's the cops that don't do the bad shit, but won't speak out against the ones that do. Right? That—that's. I actually hate that more than I hate the bad shit, because I expect the bad shit to happen, because states screw stuff up. People are fallible. That's why nobody should have that much power that's not really checked sufficiently. Like, the check on the power of the police shouldn't be other police officers. It should be people that are not police officers that don't have a vested interest in, you know, propagating the ability to hide for for the, the bad people. I get people that say, but cops enforce bad laws. I understand that. I understand what you're saying. I know where you're coming from but since I'm not one of these anarchists that somehow gets amnesia about like the 35 other fucking years of my life where I wasn't one, I don't judge people based on where I'm at as though I was never where they're at. And I think you will like, while I'm saying we're not out there to, to like bring people into the fold against their will, I very much want to bring people into the fold who are open. The the person that's already where Neo was in the movie, right? Like, where he's ready to sit down and be offered the red pill or the blue pill, I want to bring that person in. And I don't want to push that person away. And I have had so many people in my audience over the years that were law enforcement officers that became libertarians, that eventually became anarchists, and they didn't quit their job right away because they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to do it. But you know what happened? Almost inevitably, they all end up quitting. Quitting. But if you just tell that person, you're a horrible human being, you are a stormtrooper from Star Wars, that moment can never happen. So people like Larkin, and it's, it's like every other word is about how the cops are evil, that's my problem there. When he's not doing that, he's one of the best advocates for anarchy I've ever heard speak. And I wish he'd just spend more time on that and less time on the other. Um, what can you share about keeping a new business private and protected from intervention? What do you mean by that, uh, Avondale? Uh, if you could maybe clarify. What do you mean by intervention? If you mean, how do I keep a, pr- a business running and completely private from the government? Um, you either run full-on black market and you figure it out as you go, right, because there's no rule book for that, or you don't. And I'm going to recommend that you don't. That it makes sense. I've, I've talked about this in, in everything whenever I mention agorism, which is basically when we take... The concept of anarchism and put it into practice with commerce is that you should run your business legally and then you should use every single thing you can to protect that business from the state and to avoid paying taxes to the state as much as possible legally. And if you, if you change your thinking on that, and again, I want you to think, the United States tax code, I'm holding my hands up for the video, is so big that if I was holding it, it wouldn't fit in the screen, but yet 95% of it tells you how to not pay what the 5% says you have to pay, then all of a sudden it becomes very, very clear. How do I creatively structure and spend my money so that they don't get it? How do I make sure that even when they get some money, so much of it went back into the business to grow the true underlying value of the business that I effectively didn't pay any tax because they only tax a realized gain. They don't tax the value of the business itself. And I think that's what you have to do. Now, if you want to go into something that is there's no legal way to do it, then I think your best first pass is status jujitsu. So if you wanted to sell raw milk, and you can't do that in your state, can you sell it as pet food? Because I can't control what you do with it when you walk out the door. If you can't sell it as pet food, can you sell it as a soil amendment? And you keep going, like how, so I think instead of saying, I can't do this, so my only choice is to do the black market, I think your better option is, How do I do this where I can't be interfered with? And I also think you need to make a calculation, and I mean a real Excel spreadsheet-driven calculation. The odds I'll get caught are X, the cost of getting caught is Y, the potential profit is Z. And you run the same thing everybody that breaks the law does, a risk-reward calculation, but I'm saying you actually put down numbers. Now, if you mean something else, I can see about maybe answering that later, but we are going to wrap soon. Uh, I want to remind you guys that are watching now, the Goose Group will be live on the Unloose the Goose channel uh, later on today. I think we're going live at 4 o'clock, and it's 2 now, so I'm going to have to wrap up and turn this into a podcast pretty soon, uh, but we'll go a little bit longer. Um, Larkin Rose supports free market competition among police services to prevent in environment for abuse of power. Yeah, I do too. I think his solution's great. Okay, again, I think his solution's great. I think talking about police officers like they're the scum of the earth because they wear a uniform is detrimental to everything he's trying to accomplish. That's my opinion. Uh, I don't mean to bash the man personally. I'm talking about does this thing that a person's do work? And I don't think it works well. I don't think it works well at all, and I think it turns off a lot of people that would otherwise be more receptive. Uh, do you see disarmament coming? No, I do not see disarmament coming. I think you'll see a lot of talk about gun control and restrictions and stuff like that, but I highly doubt that most people that are armed are going to allow themselves to be disarmed. So, no, but not because they don't want to. I think that just like you do a risk-reward calculation before you do something that might be something the government doesn't like, the government does the same thing. My concern is, 20 years from now that most of the people will give their guns up, willingly. I don't think we're anywhere near that right now, though. Deer hunting this year, that's not a question. That's a statement. Um, will I, If that means will I be going, the truth is I don't know right now. I'm still figuring out my fall. I'm actually very much looking towards setting up some really cool fishing trips, uh, maybe off the coast of Texas or something like that, where, like, six people from the audience can come along, like that type of thing. I'm actually thinking that more... Uh, than hunting this year. Uh, maybe going offshore for yellowfin tuna or something like that. Um, honestly, if I want deer meat, there's some on the other side of the fence right now. They can accidentally end up in the deep freezer anytime. time. Um, Baofeng radios, even if they're locked to amateur frequencies for farm use. Um, so... I guess you could lock it yourself. When you buy a Bowelfang, you can do anything you want with it, including get it on all the handbands and stuff. But I do think they are a great communications tool, and I have used them, and I have used like your standard kind of like walkie-talkie, GMRS, uh, FRMS radios um, for those purposes of like communicating around the farm and stuff like that. I have found the Bowfangs to be way superior. For that use. So, I think if you want something like you want to have like 10 radios, you keep them charged, you have a certain set of frequencies on them, and you want to have like people on your, you know, 30, 40 acres being able to communicate with with each other, for the, you know, there are better solutions for that, but bang for the buck, they're damn good. Uh, Homeowners insurance will take your guns first. No, they won't. You know what, Jerry, I know you, but this is the kind of shit. I mean seriously, you're fixing to get your ass kicked verbally over the internet. Stop this shit, people. This is what I was on earlier this week. This defeatist language, they're gonna take it away. You're gonna really? Jerry, they're gonna take your guns away? Jerry, if your homeowner's insurance is able to take your guns away from you, you don't deserve your damn guns. Because you're you have already written defeat before anything's happened to you at all. This, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end there, guys. I know there's more questions and stuff like that. Uh, I'm sorry, I do have to wrap up. But I, I need to end this podcast and this session with this defeatist language has no place in your life. And I know Jerry's like, damn it, I didn't mean it that way. But yeah, you did. Even if you didn't, in the back of your head, you did. It is time for people in all of these liberty-oriented, anarcho... Libertarian communities To start filtering your thoughts This is as sincere as I can be with you You need to start filtering your thoughts For anything that you are saying In your actions, your deeds, your thoughts Your soul, your spirit They've already won Because that's what that statement is They've already won It's inevitable They'll already have victory over us It's coming soon There's nothing less to be done Absolutely, bluntly, word coming that some of you don't like, absolutely fucking not. Because I can't help you, you can't help you, and no one can help you until you stop seeing a world in which they've already won. They want this, and they want that, and they want the other. My grandmother used to say, want in one hand and shit in the other and see which one fills up first. There's so many things these people have wanted for so long that they haven't even gotten close to. Stop thinking these people are hyper-competent. I can give you hyper-incompetent in a descriptive term for what government as an entity is. I just need to add one syllable. In. -in Hyper-incompetent. These people are hyper-incompetent. If we lose to them, frankly, we deserve to lose to them. I, I really mean that. Look at, look at the absolute clusterfuck of everything that they do. I mean, if you ask people, what's government good at? You know the one thing they'll tell you? Well, they're good at war. No, they're not. They suck at war. The most powerful military in the world. 20 years in Iraq and Afghanistan. You know what we have to show for it? Nothing. We don't have anything to show for it. We're leaving right now as we're leaving like the Taliban's just rolling back in in Afghanistan, taking everything over. 20 years. 20 years. Trillions of dollars. Thousands of people from our side. Bloodshed. The best among us. They can't even get war right. And they're going to take your guns through your homeowner's insurance. Get a different homeowner's insurance provider. Tell them you don't have guns. Lie. Do whatever you have to do. Don't give up your freedoms. Don't give up your rights. Stop using defeatist language. Stop using any verbiage in your mind or out of your mouth that says you've already lost. Because the minute you do, you have. You have. That's where I'm going to end today, folks. Hope you guys enjoyed that. All right, guys, like I said, I think that overall went pretty well. I hope you enjoyed the Jack rant at the end of it. Um, I know I'm going to hear from some of you guys, You shouldn't have done that to that guy. That wasn't nice. You were so mean. Let me tell you the email exchange that we had right after that. Jerry emailed me and he didn't say, Jack, you're a big meanie. Now I'm crying and I'm turned into a teacup and I'm hiding in my safe space, uh, petting a puppy and coloring with a crayon and sucking my thumb because you were mean to me. He said, sorry, Jack, I didn't mean to aggravate you. They haven't and won't defeat me. I enjoyed the live stream. Even the correction to my lapse in mental strength. Have a great day. Awesome. And I said, hey, man, it's all good. I hope I didn't sound too hard on you. It's not about you. It's about the defeatism I keep hearing in general. I think you got a great response out of me, and I'm pleased with the result, especially if it did not upset you, which clearly it did not. So you guys don't have to worry about Jerry. He's not on the ground sucking his thumb. Uh, he's not wounded. He's not wounded. He's not gone. Uh, and, and part of why I was willing to do that with his comment is he's been part of this community for so long and we have exchanged many communications. So those of you that are currently pounding at your keyboard about what a meanie I was, you can stop. Jerry's good and I'm good. If you're not good, I will r- remind you that there are disclaimers and policies uh, on the Survival Podcast website. And one of them it says you are a free human being on planet Earth and that you are free to do what you want, including listen or not listen to this. And I'm not responsible for any feeling of being offended or mental trauma or needing to suck on your thumb that may come from the show. Something to that effect. I wrote it like uh, 12 years ago, but uh, that's that's pretty much the gist of it. Anyway, let's wrap things up. Let me remind you, if you're not laying on the floor sucking your thumb upset at the big bean jack that just yelled at you through the thing and you actually like this show and you'd like to support it one of the ways that you can do that is by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com and i'm excited to tell you something's on sale today and the reason i'm excited to tell you something's on sale today is over two years ago i put it in a price tracker to wait for it to go on sale and it took over two years for it to go on sale It's an item I like to bring around in the fall because that's kind of when people are most thinking about needing to grind meat because that's when we go out and shoot the giant four-legged squirrels with horns on their head we call deer. And uh, we have some large portion of thereof that need to be processed into ground meats. But meat grinders are a great tool to have all the time in general anyway. uh, I often ground cuts of meat that I think, hey, you know what, that would make a pretty good burger or that would make good chili or something like that. And when I do it, I use a, a product called the STX 3000 Turbo Force Meat Grinder. Now, usually when something's called like Turbo Force or something like that, it's like, bullshit. It's just crap. It's like when you go to a fast food place and they call something spicy. It's like, it's spicy. It's about as spicy as ketchup. No, the, tur- the Turbo Force, there may not be a turbo in there, but there is some force. Uh, this thing normally sells for about 160 bucks. It's on sale for 130 today. And that's on a huge markdown, but it's like 19%. And that's the first sale I've seen on it in a long time. Can you get a better, like, consumer-level meat grinder? You can, and I've used one, and it is better, and it's called the Carnivore, and it's made by Cabela's, and it's on the edge of being a commercial product. It's so good. It's three-quarter horsepower up to one. They have a one-horsepower, and I think they have, like, a a one-and-a-quarter horsepower one. And they're better. And they cost $400 and up. And anything that's not in that category or above that I've tried is either not as good or at best as good as this one. And the ones that are as good cost twice as much. They're in the $250 range. So I don't see going up to 250 bucks when I don't get any more. And personally, while I use my meat grinder here and there throughout the year, you know, I mostly use it during hunting season or, you know, pick deer up, pick, pick dead deer off, up, 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 pick up dead deer off the side of the road season uh, as well. And, and that's about it. So if I was grinding a couple hundred pounds of meat a month, I would, I'm going to be flat out, I wouldn't buy this. I would go to Cabela's, who I have no relationship whatsoever, other than I buy stuff there. And I would buy that. I'd buy the carnivore and I'd buy at least the three quarter horse model and I'd be more inclined to buy the one-horse model. I've used it. A friend of mine named Kevin has one up in in West Virginia. I used it up there. I ground like 80 pounds of pork with it, and it went so fast I couldn't keep up with it. But this one's pretty damn fast. I can keep up with it, but i got to move to keep up with it. Uh, It has two speeds, and I would say that the one thing is... If you're going to grind with this and you want to go to a fine grind instead of like a chili grind, grind a chili grind and then put it through a second time. It does not do well going straight to a fine grind. Other And it'll work. It just takes it, – it'll be faster to put it through twice. I've made sausage with it. It's okay. It, may, it made me decide to go ahead and buy a lemon you know, sausage stuffer. I'll, I'll put it to you that way. Like, it's just – I don't think any grinder is a great sausage stuffer. Um, they work differently for different reasons. Uh, but if you need a good grinder, get this one. I, I mean, I know a lot of times I'm like, you know, this is a great thing for the money and it's, you know, but if you need a grinder and you don't want to spend $400 or more, get this one. That's, that's cut and dry with it. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with our song of the day and our song of the day today is one i've never heard from a from from a source i've never heard it's called turn back the hands of time and it's by delp and goodrow specifically brad delp and barry goodrow and when i look at the album cover artwork and when i listen to this song i hear mid early 70s music however this song was released in 2003 so do what you will with that but this Very much sounds like the heyday of 70s kind of rock, love song, rock combined type music to me. And and don't get me wrong. I mean, I know the link to Boston here, the band Boston, and I know that's where... But I'm just saying, like, this song itself sounds from that time. And I I didn't know that Delton Goodrow ever got together and did something in the early 2000s is what I'm saying there. Um, but turn back the hands of time is, you know, the, the line in the song is actually, if only we could turn back the hands of time. And I'll let the song speak for itself, but I would say on that note, you can't. You can't. It's a very nice thought. If we could, And I, I don't think the song is asserting that you can, right? But it is a very nice thought. If we could turn back the hands of if we could have a do-over, if we could do something again. You know, I I think back to, like, sometimes I even think all the way back to, like, when I was in high school and think, you know, I could have got more out of that time of my life. You know, what would I do if I was back there then now? You know, and there's, I don't know, there's maybe a little bit of gain to that because maybe it makes you, like, you know, it's like studying your own history. So that you, that's actually, we're going to have a show about that someday. The reason you should study your own history is so you don't repeat your mistakes from the past. Because studying history to keep society from doing it, we've talked about that, ain't going to happen. But there is some self-examination of history that I think might be quite useful to us as individuals. That's about all the good that comes from it, though. That's why I started today's show off with the TikTok, TikTok message that I give you from time to time. Time's passing. You don't ever get to turn back the hands of time. In fact, as you're listening to this, whatever you were doing or whatever you didn't do or whatever you were thinking, negative or positive, 20 seconds ago when I started this segment, you can't even go back that much and change it. You can only affect this minute, this second, this precise instant and the ones that come after it forever. So as always, folks, make the most of your dash. With that, it's been Jack Spearco on another episode of the Survival Podcast.
1: Changes, we still control our fate. We can't do nothing when there's so much at stake and time keeps taking away. If we could only find the power to forgive, if we could only open up and truly live. If we only face the truth, admit our sins. If we could only open up our hearts again. Time slips.